this is Shannon Poe here with uh, Tactical Faith, and we are. This is this is an interview that I'm conducting with um, Muhammad Faridi, who is a uh, former Muslim, who is a he's Christian now. Um, back in 2012, you came to America. I've already posted a link to your testimony uh, that that. Where, where you basically lay out everything that's happened to you um, mm -hmm. up until, you know, whenever that, that, that video was, was uploaded a couple, I think it was in 2018, whenever mm -hmm. you gave that, that testimony. But um, I wanted, I, I stumbled across you looking at some of the things that were happening in the, uh, in the political atmosphere between America and Iran and um, you were you were outspoken on some issues, and I wanted to talk to you about that some of those things. But first and foremost, because we are a Christian organization that is interested in the the the, the life of the mind of all believers, I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to hear your your testimony a little bit, since since we've got the other testimony linked to on the website. Um, or in, in our Facebook page, I, we don't have to go into your full testimony, but I, I would, I would love to hear a little bit about what it is for you as a former Muslim to come into Christianity and, and what, what, what it was specifically that kind of opened up your eyes about, uh, about, about Christianity and about Jesus Christ. Um, Hello everyone, wherever you're watching or hearing this, uh, I welcome you. My, as uh, bro brother introduced me, I'm bo I was born and raised in the country of Iran. And uh, when I was born, it was a war going on in the country. And um, my uncle, two of my cousins joined the war and died in jihad. And the war that is to advance or defend Islam. And we became the family of martyrs, and uh, we were elevated in the community we lived on. And many, many um, uh, relatives and, and family members and uh, neighbors, they came to us and uh, to mourn the death of our, uh, to death of my uncle and two, two of my cousins. But we actually were not allowing them to, to um, mourn. We celebrated it because they achieved the greatest honor in the Islamic world. And um, my grandma, grandpa started receiving paychecks, uh, social help from the government as a result of the blood that they shed for Islam. And uh, they turned the alley that we lived on or the road that we lived on to our last name. And uh, we, we, we were uh, a devout, dedicated Muslims in our community. We were leaders of the Muslim community. And growing up in that kind of environment, I was uh, I was mandated, I was required, um, persuaded to be a really, really good Muslim, a believer. And um, I, fa I, I uh, fasted during the month of Ramadan for 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 a whole month, and uh, I uh, prayed five times a day. I learned Arabic and memorized chapters and chapters of the uh, Islamic book, the Quran. And uh, I tried, but um, I remember sometimes I had questions and um, I would go to my mom and I say, uh, mom, can I speak to the God of Islam in my mother tongue? Why should I go learn another language and speak to him, to this God in Arabic or any other language that the language that he has created me? And my mom says, well, a good Muslim surrenders, a good Muslim submits. And um, the language of heaven, the language of paradise of Islam is Arabic. And we need to learn that. And, if, uh, and, and a good Muslim is a Muslim that submits, does not ask questions, and does not doubt. And she said, if you keep asking such questions and you start doubting, this is sin against Allah, and Allah will torment you, and you will end up in hell, and you will be, bur you will be burned forever in hell. 
I was a child, seven, six, seven years old. I was very afraid of this God, and I quit asking question, asking questions. And I, um, I remember it's like you take your brain out, put it on the shelf, and blindly follow this religion, because if you do, if you do ask questions, it is discouraged, and they have all the scriptures from the Quran to back that up. Uh, I believe it's in the, uh, chapter five of the Quran that discourages the Muslim from asking questions. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, have you found, have you found that Christianity is in that sense? Um, and sometimes this depends on the type of denomination that you're in or the religious kind of community that you're in within Christianity. Um, but have you found that Christianity has been open to asking questions and 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 asking hard questions about about the faith of christianity or god or jesus God of christianity in the bible says let us come together and reason let us talk let us think he has given us a brain and let us use that he is a god of reason he's a logical god and uh, since the god of christianity became man he was incarnated. He became a man like you and me. He understands. We have questions. We need our. We, we need to think and reason. Therefore, he is not afraid of it. You can challenge him. You can ask questions from him. You can. Um, th there is something about Islam and the God of Islam that Muslim have. Uh, Muslims commanded constantly to defend him. If your truth, if you're right, you don't need anybody to defend you, especially the people that you have created. That's the oh, difference yeah. uh, in Christianity and Islam. Uh, so I grow up in that kind of environment as a Muslim, a devout Muslim, dedicated Muslim. And, uh, but you know, uh, when when you sin, when you make mistakes, you just and uh, you feel guilty as a Muslim and what you need to do, they say you have to do good in order to outweigh the bad deeds you have done. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this scale, they say there is a, a genie sits on the right shoulder. There's a genie on the left shoulder and they write every deed you have. Is that in the Quran? Uh, that's the tradition of Islam. Okay. And they say that this genie is there will, report to Allah in the day of judgment he puts it on a scale and if your good deeds which is on the right hand outweigh the bad deeds which is on the left Allah will may hopefully inshallah will grant you heaven mm. but there's no there's no certainty in this there's no guarantee in this and well what kind of a bad deed, for example, you, uh, I lied or I cheated or um, I was dishonest and, and uh, I um, looked over my, uh, when, when, we were ex when we had exams on, in the school, I looked over uh, and cheated on the exams. And now what do I need? I need to go, go pray. And I prayed more and more, but the sin didn't go away. It wasn't vanishing away. And this, this getting piled up. And as Shia Muslim, uh, they have given us. Um, they have. They have given us a, the a, 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 the uh, solution, the thing that you can uh, solve this problem you have with your guilt. They say, if you mourn and you beat yourself, self-flagellate yourself, self-punish yourself for the sins you have committed, Allah will may grant you some favor because this imams that you're beating yourself for them, you're mourning for them, they have some special place, they have some special position with Allah, they have some special favor with Allah, so they become your me, uh, your medium, your mm -hmm. intercessor. And if you cry enough and beat yourself enough for them, and you shed your tears and your blood for them, they may talk to Allah and intercede for you. So we had the ceremonies of self-flagellations, and um, we would go, it's all, it's all designed for men. This religion has been designed for men. It's a manly re religion. You go to this mosque or this shrine or this place, and everywhere is 
uh, covered with black banners, and it's time of mourning. 1400 years ago, someone died in a war, an imam, the, the um, son-in-law of the prophet of self-claimed prophet of Islam or his grandsons or something like that. They have died in very various wars. So it is just like it happened yesterday. We mourn in their anniversary, in their death anniversaries. And uh, during that time, someone will recite the eulogy and uh, the imam or the uh, sheikh or the uh, person that is in charge, the leader, will provoke the crowd to wail and cry. And men's are half naked, and these eulogies, these songs, have they have a rhyme. And with the rhymes of that eulogy, we start beating ourselves on our chests. We beat our, we thumb ourselves on our chest with our hands so much that we start to bruise or bleed. And then we have chains that we punish our backs with our with with the chains. Sometimes the chains carry uh, uh, pieces of blades in them sharp items in them and we beat our backs with them and sometimes um, um, they um, we, they bring swords and we imitate imitate the death of the first imam he was a standing praying to Allah one morning his name is Ali Imam Ali was a standing before Allah praying to him and a man came from the back and hit his head with a sword and cut his head open and sword by po poisonous and killed him. And we imitate that, that death by getting a sword and cutting our heads open. I have the scars since the last time I've done this when I was 18, 19 years old. I've been in ceremonies, this morning ceremonies, with, um, with people's blood, with, with um, human's blood in an inch or two. We walked in it from people cutting themselves open, shedding their, 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 uh, shedding their own blood and self-flagellate and punish themselves to wash away, to pay um, atone for their sins with yeah. their own blood. But did that help? That was, the, that was the problem. We would sin, we would show up, we would beat ourselves, and this cycle would re return because there was, there was no um, salvation out of that. There was no breaking out of this cycle. I was 19 years old when I was, uh, I had to go, uh, uh, I finished my high school, I had to go and uh, do my um, military service, You're man it's a mandatory thing, it's a, a mandatory service in Iran, men's when they hit 18 years old and they have no physical uh, problems, um, they, they joined uh, the armies in Iran, the branch that they chose for me, uh, the um, government uh, looks at the soldiers and, and um, they pick varieties of soldiers for varieties of uh, branches in the uh, uh, army. Mine was the Revolutionary Army of Iran. I served two years in the Revolutionary Army of Iran. And um, Qasem Soleimani that was killed um, in Iraq this uh, January 2nd, I met that man personally because I served uh, when he was in the charge of the Revolutionary Army in Iran. And... Um, uh, during our service, during the military service, the Revolutionary Army, they took us to the war zone between the two countries of Iran and Iraq. This is um, about 20 years after the war. They took us to the war zone. They call it, they call that movement on the path of light. They took us to the war zone. They take, they, they took our boots off. They said, this is a this is the holy ground. This is the holy land because it's been watered by the blood of the martyrs. And we went there and uh, uh, the, it was the time of mourning. It was a time of reuniting ourselves and our spirit with the spirit of martyrdom. And um, there was, it was a time to remember the braveness, the braveness of the Muslim jihadists. And... Uh, they trained us and they put us in empty tombs and graves during the night to fight the fear of death. The greatest fear in the Islamic world is the, great, uh, uh, the, the fear of death and the fear of the grave because there's th the hundreds of traditions about how um, scary and how uh, gruesome this fear of gra grave and when they put you in grave and the things that will happen to you and the, the worm's going to 
rot your body and eat it. And 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 uh, there's two these two genies that they will show up to torment you and so many things. So Muslim extremely fear grave and death because there is there is an un, uh, uncertainty uncertainty of what is going to happen to you. Mm. And uh, they put us in these empty tombs and graves for us to fight that fear that that we we get um, emotionally ready that we have no fear of death and we can fight uh, the enemies and and uh, even die for our for for um, Islam when i came back i had one dream like many of the many of my uh, fellow soldiers many of the fellow um, 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 people in the revolutionary army that we hope we hope and pray to god that we fight against israel or America, or the infidels. Anybody that give us a war, we would use it as, as an opportunity to climb the ladder of Islam to paradise, which is the only guarantee, the only assurance, the only certainty of salvation in Islam. Martyrdom, martyrdom uh, the, uh, the Quran say, says, you slay or are slain for the cause of Allah. That's the only guarantee of paradise. And the Prophet of Islam said, martyrdom is so good that you want to do it. You want to die for Allah and come back and die again and come back and die again. That's so, so such a rewarding thing. And during that, during that year, after the military service, I was, um, I was really uh, praying to Allah and, 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 and waiting for this war to happen and it never happened. And uh, I lost purpose in life. And... Uh, I start accusing the government of Iran, the Islamic regime, of not being bold enough to start attacking Israel or other countries or America. Mm -hmm. So um, I fell, I fell in depression. I, I, I became purposeless, and I fell in depression. And uh, I contemplated many times on on suicide. I, I uh, would lock up myself in, in my room and get a knife and cut myself and try to kill myself, but I didn't dare because. When you commit suicide as a Muslim, the hell is guaranteed. I, as a person, what Islam, and uh, regardless of how how much I practice Islam, it brought me to hopelessness, and depression and desperation. Regardless of how much I beat myself and practice Islam and and prayed and all of that, and now if I kill myself because I have no hope in future and purpose. I would end up in hell. That was my dilemma. I was a stuck in a very, very bad s s spot. I was yeah. at the end, at, at the end of myself. It seems a little. It seems a little odd that um, that that uh, I guess um, what at least my understanding of what what a lot of uh, uh, like the suicide bombers and things like that. You know, it's because they're taking other people's lives and committing this kind of this kind of final act of i guess what they would consider heroism does that is that absolutely absolutely that that that, that negates the thing that 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 negates their suicide basically let me give you an example because uh, we're talking to mostly american audience in Orlando, a, a Muslim man killed 50 homosexuals. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And um, and then they realized that man actually used to go to that homosexual bar. Mm -hmm. And they realized later on, these are these are came out later that this guy himself practiced homosexuality. This Muslim man, without a doubt in my heart, I tell you, he was doing that, and that was his lifestyle until somebody from the Muslim community could be a family member, could be a mosque member, they realized that. And this man could have could not deal with the guilt and the shame that came from that lifestyle from a Muslim background. And what what they have what what that community of Muslim or what he uh, came to conclusion himself was the only return, the only redemption from this situation, is to do that, and he killed mm -hmm. others and killed himself. Oh wow, that's an interesting take. I've never. Um, that makes sense uh, psychologically, um, but I've never. I, I, you know, I the way it, the way it was kind of 
fleshed out once they once they realized that he was a Muslim. It was all kind of seems like I remember it being swept under the rug pretty quickly after that. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, fast forwarding a little bit. So what what was it specifically about Christ that um, like I, I've 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 heard some Muslims talk uh, some former Muslims talk about uh, having received dreams and visions of, of Christ or, or just having very strong spiritual encounters, which I'm, I, I've grown up as a Baptist, but I've also kind of, uh, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I very much believe that, that God and, and through his Holy Spirit can, can, can touch us in ways that, uh, that we actually feel his presence. We, we know who, who God is in kind of a tangible way. Matthew Burford is, is uh, joining us here, but what was it? Um, was there any kind of, any kind of like, uh, I guess any, any, what, what, what was the uh, specific thing for you that brought you to faith in Christ? <laughs> Let me explain to you. So I'm trying to be good and I fail. I failed as a Muslim. And I'm, and, and, and Islam has brought me to the end of myself, to hopelessness, to destitute, to a desert, spiritually, physically, emotionally. One, one day I, I contacted a friend. This guy, um, uh, me and him, we grow up off and on together because his mom and my dad were in the same hospital, worked together. And then... We went to school together. We were in high school together. And, but when I, uh, we, we, we had the same age, he is uh, three, three days older than me. And when the uh, military service came around, because he had flat feet, he was medically exempt. Hmm. So when I went to the military service, I was away from home in another city, and I didn't know what is he doing with his life. So I got a hold of him to, to catch up with him. And uh, he said he wants to come and visit me. I said, okay. So I had a motorcycle, went, picked him up. And uh, in about 10, 15 minutes talking to him, I realized this man has changed. His face was, his face was relaxed. He was shining. He was mellow. It just, he crept me out. I, I, I was like, what, what is the matter with this guy? Why is so strange? And I asked him, and he said he became a Christian. I said, "What, what, what in the world is that? How you how, can you become Christian?" In the Western mindset, this doesn't make any sense. You become. They they tell you on TV all the time, you can do whatever and become whatever. That's that's the American dream. That's the American culture. Mm -hmm. But in our culture, in an Islamic culture, we are fatalists. If you think, if you study Calvinism. Calvin, Calvinists, and uh, we have actually Christians more Calvin, Calvinist, Calvinistic than Calvin itself himself. But um, fatalism is a degree stronger than Calvinism, meaning everything is fate. Everything is predestined, preordained. There is no will of man involved in life. Everything is done by Allah for you. When he said he became a Christian, I was thinking to myself to my, in, my, in my Muslim mindset a man has superseded the will of Allah of the will of God for himself it didn't make any sense so I asked more questions because I in, in my mindset in my fatalist Islamic mindset if you're born a Muslim you die a Muslim mm -hmm. if you're born a Christian you die there is no changing there is no breaking out of this with with man's power Allah has to uh, make it happen so i asked him and he said he just calmly with that weird uh, piece that he carried he told me that jesus has changed his life his family's life miracles and this and that i mean i was really upset i was really really mad and i didn't know to choke him i didn't i was trying to correct him but soon i realized i'm just like an echo i'm echoing what i have heard from the mosque, from my parents, from my grandparents, from the people. There was nothing I could 
I, I was rooted in, in Islam because the God of Islam is a distant God, is an uh, impersonal, a God that is not personal. You cannot get to know him. One of his name in the Quran is unknowable, a God that you cannot know. If a Muslim say, I know the God of Islam, I know Allah, it's a blasphemy. They kill you for it. Hmm. And this guy says, I have a relationship with God. I'm like, this craziness. So I'm trying to argue with him, but he's not giving into my argument. He's just talking about the goodness of God. And after about two hours of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, I've worn him out. I was worn out. Nothing was making sense. And he said to me, this is the last thing I want to tell you. Jesus, he was sacrificed for your sin. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was humiliated. They crucified him for your sake. And if you allow him, he has already died for you. But if you allow him, he will change your life. He will take away your sin and he will change your life. That was the best thing I have ever heard in my life. Every lie that Islam told me I have to do in order to be redeemed, earn sal salvation, to atone for my sin. Mm -hmm. Every lie that Islam told me in that moment, it was exposed before my eyes. And it said, all of the things you are doing, it's already finished in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. That's the good message of the gospel. Man, out of desperation, I fell on my knees. This is not the matter of language. I fell on my knees. It was like I was so naked before God, so weak, so disabled and paralyzed before God. It was like I was hit by a semi-truck. I fell on my knees and I begged him. What do I need to do? And the, and and uh, ironically, my name, my my friend's name is Rasul. Rasul means the apostle. He took the title of the self-claimed prophet of Islam. I took his name. His name is Rasul. Rasul is evangelizing Muhammad. Hmm. Apostle is evangelizing the, the self-claimed prophet. Anyway, and um, I I begged him. He said, I, I I want you to ask him to come to uh, your life. He said, if you are in our home, when you're going to go to use the bathroom, you will ask. Now you have to ask. I said, what kind of a God is this that he needs my permission? I was, I was shocked. And I closed my eyes and I repeated what he said. I think it was something like that. Oh, Lord, uh, I repent from my sins. I uh, make you my Lord and my Savior and come and come to my life. I don't remember what I said. But when I opened my eyes... I saw colors for the first time. It was a dimension added to life that never existed. All of the hatred that was uh, uh, breastfed to me from my childhood, all of the unrest that I had in my soul, all of that, when I asked Jesus to become my Savior and my Lord, it went away and I could see colors for the first time. Almost so. This this was this kind of transformation. I mean, this this happened almost immediately. Whenever, whenever you said this this very simple prayer, you you literally felt a, a like a, a weight taken off of you, right? It was just a matter of a blink of an eye. Yeah, that is amazing. Everything was changed. That's beautiful. A dead man came alive. That's all I can say. Yeah. And um, from, so, uh, what what year was that? This was in 2006. 2006. So, mm -hmm. you didn't leave Iran until 2012, correct? 2009. 2009. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, so between, between 2006 and 2009, you're, uh, you're basically... Uh, I like I said I I've read uh, or I I listened to some of your testimony. You're kind of trying to lay low a little bit, right? But it came to a point where it it you couldn't hide it anymore, right? I couldn't. It was uh, I mean, it was so uh, 
this joy, this peace that I had for the first time in my life, I couldn't hold it. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it to myself. I, kept, I couldn't keep silent and not let my parents and everybody know around yeah. me. Yeah. But I tried to, I, I, I know Islam very, very well. I know an apostate is an unclean, filthy person that must be killed, must be put to death. And when someone kills an apostate in a home as a parent, is in, as a brother, as a uh, neighbor, if, if you kill an apostate, a person that has left Islam, it's reward for you for, for killing an apostate. Mm -hmm. You get rewarded for it. Not that you kill, killed somebody or, or, uh, or there's a court. You get actually reward. I knew all of that. And I knew I have committed an unforgivable sin. They gave me three days to repent. And if I don't return to Islam, I must be put to death. I knew all of that. But the truth of the gospel, it's so valuable that it doesn't matter anymore. I was already dying for a false god. I was already going to die for a false god. I just found truth. There is nothing better than that. Yeah. Now I actually, if I die, I'm dying for something that I know. Yeah. Um, how how real? So go, so this is this is this is the part. This is some of the stuff that I wanted to kind of engage you about. How 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 real is the threat for somebody in Iran who converts out of out of Islam into Christianity that's one question that I have my second question that I would like to address is is there a large Christian population in Iran and is it okay to be Christian in Iran if you were born into Christianity mm -hmm. or is it still something that it are they are they second-class citizens if they are born into Christianity those are kind of my two maybe three questions there for you so the first question is uh if you convert can you live or uh is it legal or whatever so 13 countries in the world in all in islamic countries if you convert uh leave islam it's not conversion actually it's leaving of islam mm -hmm. called apostasy iran is one of those 13 countries that Apostasy, because the country of Iran is under Sharia law, the Islamic law, it is punishable by death. So when you leave Islam for anything other than Islam, atheism, Christianity, Judaism, name it, you sign your death warrant and then you hand it to the Islamic court. That's what you do. That's question number one. Question number two, um, was if if you're born to actually in this question number three if you're born to an uh, Armenian or a Assyrian Christian family then what under under the Sharia of Islam you're second class citizen everyone must know you are a Christian that's why they actually invented the belts Muslim invented the belts for Christians after attacking the Christian nations to separate them, it was like a sign. The Star of David, the, um, the Zonars was the Star of David that Hitler actually used, learned from Muslim, to label the Jews. That's how they labeled the, 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 the Jews in, uh, uh, in um, Hitler time and also in Muslim attacks. Because, we, because when, when, a, when a Muslim is crossing a, 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 a street or on the side of the street is walking, that Jew with the Star of David and the uh, Christian with the belt, the zoner, they, they are specified. They, they, we know, okay, this is a Christian. They have to change direction and go on the other side. Mm. So that's, that's uh, when, when you're born as a Christian in Iran, you're born into an Assyrian or an or a, or a Armenian family how do they get to iran if you remember during the world war one when the ottoman empire the turks starting start killing their neighbors the armenians yeah and the Assyrians, the christians one and a half million were killed at the hands of their muslim neighbors so many of them fled to iran 
and took refuge in Iran. Iran at that time was under under a king, under a monarch, under a secular man. They came and took refuge and they start their own communities. But 40 years ago when the revolution, the Islamic revolution happened, all of the uh, freedom that the uh, Armenians and the Christians had in Iran went away. And now they're second class citizens. They have a different tax. Uh, a Muslim tax is two and a half percent. A Christian ta tax is about fifteen percent, and um, they're um, they're persecuted on a daily basis in Iran, uh, smeared, badmouthed, and so many Muslims do, do do not go step a uh, foot in their businesses to do financial with them because they're unclean people according to Islam. And if you shake a hand of a Christian or a or a Jew or any other infidels, outsiders, pagans. A Muslim uh, spiritually gets filthy and Allah would not receive his prayers. Yeah. So it's, they're severely persecuted. Most of the Armenians that they practice Christianity, they have already been exiled or left the country. Very little of them left. And uh, if, on a daily basis, um, they've been persecuted. That's the condition mm. of the Christians and the Jews in minority in Muslim country, especially minority Minorities under Sharia. Yeah. Remind me your um. What was the second question? Oh, uh, if so, I I I I remember talking to one of my uh one of my Bengali Muslim friends, who was saying you know I was pressing him about some of these things and in Bangladesh he was he's basically saying that you know if you're born a Christian, that's fine but you know Christians don't leave their faith and go into Islam and and Muslims don't leave their faith and go into, mm -hmm. into Christianity. And he was like, as long as that doesn't happen, everybody gets along just fine. Um, so that was part of, that was part of what I wanted to ask you about is it doesn't sound like that's really the way it is in Iran though. Um, it, it is, it is, um, it, it is not in Iran or any other Muslim countries or any Muslim families. Mm-hmm. About uh, last year, in, in, in 19, I worked with a lot of refugees, persecuted Christians on a daily basis. Two Saudi uh, uh, girls out of the uh, state of New York, I would call it Northeast America, contacted my organization. And they said, we have converted to Christianity and we're afraid of our parents and we're afraid of going back to Saudi Arabia. Oh, but they lived in the u.s at the time yes they came as a students and they converted to christianity oh i see okay mm -hmm. yes sir go ahead and less than a month two saudi girls found drowned in the river in new york state oh no it doesn't matter where you are when you are an apostate it's a capital crime in islam and they kill you for it wherever they find you the Muslim give themselves the right to kill you hmm. because they want to do good in the sight of their God. Yeah. Ooh, that's heavy stuff right there. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, well, uh, going back to, uh, oh man, I, I bear my, my head's still spinning with that story. That's, that's rough. Um, when, uh, in, in in the past I have un, I've I've heard that there is a burgeoning Christian church in Iran though. Maybe it's an underground church. Oh is, is that that was that was actually your second question of what is the growth of Christianity in Iran? Maybe, yeah. If you if you Google what I tell you, you'll be shocked. Uh, type this on your Google search bar. Where is the fastest evangelical church? growing where is the fastest evangelical church growing that is the country of iran is number one according to the world operation the growth of the church is 19.6 percent per year soon it will be the, the the first muslim country that has turned from islam to christianity just by the revival and the amazing things that god of the the god of the bible is doing there Oh, wow. Yes, you are. It is 19%, uh, according to this, the, the first um, operationworld.org. 
that is so obviously i guess i guess what you were saying earlier about serving a god a false god and then all of a sudden awakening to the the true and living god of abraham isaac and jacob the uh the god that revealed himself through jesus christ i guess all bets are off for these for, for a lot of these people right they don't they're willing to enter into christianity they believe they, they live to put everything down including their life they count the cost of following jesus yeah they don't um, take it lightly for granted yeah i bet um so how how are these how how are iranian christian converts surviving then um in, in they are trying it's an all under, underground yeah. movement but as i said um the, the 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 there are persecutions there are um in 1990s um late 1990s in iran they killed six pastors that they were major leaders in the body of christ in iran and one of those pastors after 10 years being in in, in prison he said if I die, I, I die for a God I know, and I know he will give me the, the uh, crown of glory. Iranian believers look at those kind of leaders, and he had all the opportunities. His name is Mahdi Dibaj. Uh, he was let, left, uh, let out of the um, uh, jail for a while, and he had, they gave him the opportunity to uh, exit Iran or get um, get out of Iran, flee. Mm. But he said, the good shepherd is a shepherd that lays his life down for his sheep. And Iranian believers look at those, those leaders and they said, that's our leader, that's our shepherd, we'll stay. Who are we not to stay and fight this battle? Wow. Yeah, there is a similar story. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, but he was a German theologian who went back to Germany and eventually became imprisoned. Uh, now, there's some maybe some questionable things about Mr. Bonhoeffer's theology, but the fact that he was willing to go back to Germany. Absolutely. And, uh, and that, that inspired a lot of people. It inspires me even today. I can see where, where that, kind of, uh, that kind of a testimony would be extremely powerful. Um, so tell me a little bit about your organization that how how are you guys helping uh christians are you providing refuge for them if they come to america or what tell me a little bit about you guys so i came as a religious refugee myself and um, i have tasted the bitterness of the unfairness of the systems uh for christians when a, when a when a muslim background christian shows up before the united nation in this in middle east such as turkey azerbaijan such as uh, india pakistan name that country there is a U united nations office over there and this christian man goes there to present his case or her case as a muslim background believer that's been persecuted needs help the interpreter or the interviewer are Muslims. Hmm, okay. That means this 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 plan has already been set up for them to fail. So I have I have been through that system. I was I was unju unjustly rejected for um, for my case because an interpreter will translate wrongly. Will interpret wrongly, and your caseworker or the person that is interviewing is a Muslim. You already gone to a place that they're biased against your case. Mm. I I know our, my organization has helped over two thousand persecuted Christians. I have heard uh, recently. I was um, I don't say what country, but I was in um, Asia, and I met this Christian man that showed up in the. Um, United Nations office to present his case and an appeal for for the situation they were going to 
five Muslim interpreters. They uh, um, they denied, and they um, it's a better word. Um, they refused to interpret for him because yeah. he's Christian now. Oh wow! And his case was rejected very soon after that because um, because this this uh, th there's a very bad and biased system. It's a broken system. If you are anything but a Christian, you have a lot of chances. But if you, when you go in as a as an apostate or something like that, you're really really um, um, in danger. That actually they um, they have reported some of these interpreters and interviewers reported this apostates to their families or to the people back in their own countries. And and uh, two times I've heard that that some of those families or um, or the mosque in the neighborhood send a hitman and stab those people to kill them. Oh, so you're saying that a, a Christian, uh, a former Muslim who is who is who has left and and converted to Christianity goes before the UN, mm -hmm. and one of the so and then the interpreters, who is a Muslim, mm -hmm. takes the case, takes the case to translate, uh huh, mistranslates it, and then he takes, then. He, after finding out crucial information, personal information Absolutely. about that guy or woman, he reports that back to their community, mm -hmm. and then disastrous things come about. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're understanding it right. That's horrible. That, that's, that's the real life for the persecuted Christians. Yeah. They're, poor, they're importing all sorts of Muslims. According to the United Nations, look at their, uh, uh, whoever wants to look at the st statistics up, 99% of the immigrants to the Western world are Muslims. Oh, you think that's by design then? Absolutely. Undoubtedly. Hmm. Well, so. Um, so since... my organization. Yeah. Um, we're talking. We're talking about that. My yes, organization is called Iranian IranChristians.org or Iranian Christian International. This organization has been uh, since the revolution, actually, in Iran for the past forty years. Now I lead it. The founder is a wonderful man of God that has led it, and now I'm the second generation leader in that organization. We felt the need to advocate for the. Um, uh, persecuted Christians, the people that they have no voice mm -hmm. for uh, the government. So we started uh, advocating. We lobby for them. We go uh, testify. Um, we get we get a little attention, but uh, uh, we 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 are in a fight. We know that, and we are fighting fighting for these people that they're helpless, and they their cases their case has been denied or biasly. Um, um, uh, judged and um, or um, decisions has made so we are trying to send them letter and support those people I'm talking about persecuted Christian to uh, get a fair somewhat fair interviews or uh, a case before this uh, mm -hmm. courts or judges or United Nations commissioners of refugees and so on and so forth so so far we have we have helped over 2,000 and we are keep help uh, uh, working on that, that's uh, last year in 2019, we helped 16, and uh, many of them successfully. Our rate of successful, it's like a, we are uh, somewhat lawyers, but we are not. Yeah. Because we cannot have um, that uh, thing because then things change. We are just a Christian organization that gives voice to those and defend those persecuted Christians. So our rate of help, uh, a rate of, uh, um, um, succession is 99, uh, 99.5% that we have, we have, whoever we have, uh, tried to help. Yeah. They, they were, they were approved and we, we, uh, successfully resettled them in the West. Okay. That's but, great. That mm -hmm. is, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how, so how would um so how do how do people get in touch with your organization from and is it exclusively I guess it is you're you're dealing specifically with the Iranian population mm -hmm. right 
Um, not at all. Um, we're talking with ex-Muslims, mm -hmm. but mostly Farsi-speaking ones, which is the Iranians and Afghans. Okay. Afghans. Those are the majority, but we work with varieties, varieties of people. And um, Turks and name it, anybody that comes from the Muslim world, Arabs, doesn't matter. Mm. And uh, that's one of our focuses. The other focus is planting churches, working with the underground church, distributing Bibles in the Middle East. We have, um, um, we travel quite a bit to the Middle East as an organization and, uh, and um, distribute Bible, translate Christian literatures, anything that strength, strengthen the, um, uh, the underground church of Iran and Afghanistan, mm -hmm. we, 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 we provide. And yeah. uh, that's another thing because uh, we, yes, we do help with the uh, physical needs of the refugees and the persecuted Christians, but um, more importantly, th that's their growth in Christianity, staying strong in Christianity, and ultimately become leaders in the body of Christ, such as pastors and teachers and other things. Yeah. Um, just to uh, transition this a little bit and uh, clo close out, because this is this is such a a great interview, Muhammad. That that I, I we want to we want to have you back again in the future. And, um, Matt's already told me that, that, uh, we would like to invite you down to Alabama at some point in time, if you, if you would be available for that. But, um, going back to my original, uh, I guess the, the thing that, the thing that got me interested in all of this was obviously when Soleimani, Soleimani was, uh, was taken out by <laughs> the American government. And, uh, and so there's, as, as, a, as a Christian, I want to be a little bit apolitical. I want to try to be a little bit apolitical, kind of like what Billy Graham and his mm -hmm. ministry originally was doing, you know, not trying to take sides with anybody. Mm -hmm. The problem with that now, though, is that, that anything that you say or do, if you take a strong stance anywhere, it becomes a political hammer that people bring down upon you. So Absolutely. why not just, why not just speak out our mind? And it, it is my impression that this Soleimani was, was an evil man who, who kind of more or less had it, had it coming that he was not good to the Iranian Muslims, that he was not good to the, the Christian population. So, but, some of this is hearsay from me. You said that you met the man, and I wanted Absolutely. to, I wanted to see what your perspective was on that. I can be wrong about these things. If if I get a chance one day to meet the president of the United States of America, our president Donald Trump, I will kiss his hand to thank him, in behalf of the Iranian people and Afghan people, for uh, putting this man out of his misery. This man has recruited thousands and thousands of young and young men, young adults and teenagers that they have lost their lives in proxy wars to expand Islam in the Middle East. He was, he was, his position, who he was, was much more important than Abu Bakr Baghdadi, the, um, the self uh, claim founder or the um, leader of ISIS, mm -hmm. because many of the ISIS fighters, they, they didn't um, count him as, as their leader. That's why they're still in Nigeria and other places. Um, and then also um, much greater threat than Osama bin Laden himself. So this man would go out to Yemen, to Syria, to Lebanon with the with the Iranian petroleum money, natural gas money, take that money out, recruit Shia militia, and cause war, death, and destruction all over the Middle East. Because uh, if you remember when, when in the news they called him the leader of Al-Quds, Al-Quds, Q-U-D-S, the, the word Al-Quds come from the word Jerusalem, because you cannot find the word, the wor the word Jerusalem in the Quran, you will find the word Al-Ghuds in behalf of that,
because they believe Jerusalem or Al-Ghuz belongs to Muslim. It's the land belongs to the Palestinian Muslims. Mm -hmm. And Iranians trying to get that land and give it back to Muslims. So Iranians are influenced, if you look, it's going through Iraq to Syria, all the way to Gaza and to, and to the uh, uh, Golan Heights. Why is that? Because they, this man's goal was to export the revolutionary army, the revolution of Iran, the Islamic revolution, all the way from Iran to, to Jerusalem, which they call it Quds. And that's why, why he called his, uh, that's, that's why he was called the Al-Ghuz uh, leader. Yeah. And I, I, I thank Donald Trump for um, putting this man out of his misery. Many many Christians uh, they criticize me. We shouldn't rejoice in the death of our enemies. I tell you, brothers and sisters, if you read the Bible correctly, in the book of Proverbs says, "When the when when the wicked falls, the righteous rejoices." Mm. Yeah, I've read those. I've read those scriptures. I've read plenty of things in Psalms where David David praises God in the midst of his trials and and prays against his enemies. Um, you know, I guess as a Christian, we, we're, we're a little bit caught in between the, the two texts. Um, but I'm not, uh, at the end of the day, I'm not a pacifist. I believe Absolutely. in just war. And, 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 just uh, to, and, just, and just to clarify, if when, when, when Jesus in, in the Sermon of the Mount said, if they slapped on, on the face, turn the other cheek, and, and then yeah. he said, if they curse you, do you bless him? And if they abuse you, you keep um, uh, do good to them. That's in a personal manner. If somebody come against me, I should not retaliate. I know my position as a Christian. But if you come against my family, if I don't defend my, my own family, then that is not love because love preserves also. Mm. And if somebody comes to my home, is want to rape my wife and I say, oh, Mister, let me turn the other cheek. You raped my wife and you raped me also. You think that's the Bible? You're reading it wrong. Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't. Um, I, that, that, is, that is very well said, very well put. I think that um, you, know, you, you don't have to go far in the text to see where, 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 the cent, where, where centurions, people, centurions and people who were, who were being employed by the Roman government would approach Jesus. And Jesus did not tell them to forsake their, their vocation as, as Roman soldiers, but he addressed them directly for who they were. And, um, you know, I, I, think that, uh, I think there's a lot more there that we could unpack. But um, at, at the moment, we've, we've gone on. For quite some time, Mr. Uh, uh, Muhammad, we would uh, we'd like to have you back sometime, and I, I really enjoyed talking with you. I know that um that that this would possibly, hopefully, we can hopefully we can get you down and meet you in person, and and maybe we'll give you your your your, uh, your organization a little bit of platform here in Alabama. We'll uh, be glad. Yeah. Um, what would you say? to any to any muslims that were listening to this to this to this uh to this podcast uh, what what kind of trying to put a bow on this what would you say to them as as muslims um who were willing to listen to a podcast for this long what would what what would you say to them i would i would tell them that uh, jesus loves you he has died for your sin he has already paid the price it is not by works, the Bible says, but by faith. It's, it's by grace, through faith, a man is saved and have eternal life. He has already paid the penalty. He has already done it. He's been crucified. He said it is finished. But it's all about you now willing to humble yourself and receive him as Lord, as God, as Savior, and repent and come back to him. That's what I would tell you. And that would be the best decision you will ever make in your life, undoubtedly once for your life. I was a Muslim. I born and raised a Muslim. I loved, I love my family. I love Muslim people. That's why I um, sh tell them the truth. Part of love is to tell the people the truth. 
because if they don't if you don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ you meet a judge not a savior but if you choose him now he'll become your savior as well said well uh, I we I, I uh, greatly appreciate this I I I, I, uh, I feel like this is an honor to have been able to talk to you um, it's definitely I've like I said earlier um, I've, I've known a lot of Bengali Muslims and I've and I've witnessed to them never been effective in, in my witness but it is it is truly an honor for me to talk to you and to see how Christ has changed your life and uh, hopefully we can continue this discussion uh, this discussion in the future <laughs>